This is Howard Anderson, Managing Editor of the Information Security Media Group. We're talking about data security today with Chuck Christian, CIO at Good Samaritan Hospital in Vincennes, Indiana. Chuck is the former chairman of the Healthcare Information and Management Systems Society. Thanks so much for joining us today, Chuck. Very much for the opportunity. As CIO of a 247-bed community hospital in southern Indiana, how big of an IT staff do you have now, and do you expect it to grow next year? With In this economy, uh, no, I don't really see it growing, uh, even with some of the things we have on our plate. We're going to try to do a little bit more with, uh, with as little as we have. Do you have a full-time uh, CSO, Chief Security Officer, or is someone else designated to be the full-time point person on data security, and how long has that position existed? I wish I could say I had somebody designated for that. Uh, there are several of us that, that play in that role. Being a community hospital, many of us wear a lot of different hats. I have a, one of the gentlemen that has been with me for a long time, does all of my perimeter security, remote access, that kind of stuff. I'm the policy guy uh, and have the moniker of being the security officer for the organization. So it's the responsibilities of what you would typically see in a chief security officer is spread amongst quite a few different folks. And it's worked really well for us uh, because that responsibility didn't lay with one person. I guess ultimately I'm responsible being the CIO to making sure that it gets done, but uh, my manager of technical services has a piece of that, and I've got a few other folks have have pieces of those, uh, and we work really well together to make sure everything is covered. So it sounds like of your staff of 25, um, perhaps a majority of them touch data security at some point. Well, we do. Uh, well, I mean, we're all cognizant of it. Uh, you know, we're the, you know, we, if we have to be the audit police, then that's what we are, looking for uh, inappropriate access of medical records and those type of things. And so, yeah, I, I have a tendency to involve quite a number of my staff when we have to go and do some forensics and those type of things. And then, you know, if we are started looking at if we have something uh, knock on wood, we've never really got a really big infection in or anything like that. Uh, every once in a while, somebody will stupidly uh, click on an attachment to an email that will launch something off a website that will uh, stick in some kind of mass mailer or something, and we'll, you know, all hands on deck to get that, you know, fire put out. So there's quite a few uh, different, uh, you know, it depends on what's going on is who I'm going to get involved in the process. As you may know, a recent HIMSS survey determined that only about half of hospitals have a full-time corporate CSO. Do you think um, your hospital will eventually have one, and will most community hospitals eventually put somebody in that role full-time? Well, I think it's uh, you know trying to justify a full-time position to do nothing security for a community hospital our size is is going to be a is uh, it's going to be pretty tough. Uh, you know, it's a matter of uh, resource and resource utilization because. You know, we've, I think we've done, you know, a, um, a really good job with, you know, with securing the, the perimeter and everything. And so when you make it look really easy, uh, then, uh, it, it, it's hard to justify that position. It's kind of like if you have a car, uh, that's working pretty well, uh, you don't really want to go get another one, uh, until that one's not working anymore, uh, depending upon what your finances are. I think that some of the, the new focus on the, with the new ARRA, uh, HIPAA on steroids regulations and stuff will, will help in that. But we, for some of the heavy duty stuff, we call in some outside folks to come in and do audits and checks and make sure we're doing the appropriate thing. And then we, we do our best to do the, you know, the prudent practice, uh, checks and those type of things. And so I, you know, 
you know, get back to your original question, you know, I think that it is a would be a wonderful resource to have because uh, I can't think of everything, and neither can my staff. And when you have somebody that's doing that uh, full time, then they, there's a whole other litany of things that they they can do at another level they can take you to. That HIMSS survey also showed most hospitals spend somewhat less than three percent of their total IT budget on data security. Uh, what's your situation there? Do you spend about that level, and do you expect the percentage to grow in the years ahead? Well, I mean, you know, to be totally honest, um, since we've got it spread out of so many different folks, and it's all part of you know what they do every day, I don't really have a, a good handle on what that percentage is spent just on security because you know we since we don't have uh, that that one position, but I, I think we probably spend less than percent three percent of my total budget on it, and. It's like everything else is that uh, uh, you you have to uh, do the best you can with what you got, particularly in the in the light of the current economics. Only half of the hospitals in the HIMSS survey said their organization has a plan in place for responding to threats or incidents of a data security breach. Where's your hospital at in developing such a plan, and what are some of the major components? Well, uh, you know, I think we're pretty fortunate since, you know, I'm, I'm pretty active on the national and state level and our director of medical records, Wendy Mangin, is a past president of AHEMA. And so, you know, we're pretty well, you know, keyed in on, you know, what's important for the organization and the, and the, and the industry. You know, we've got a, a breach notification policy that we put in place. Uh, we put together a, uh, with our public relations department, a, uh, emergency communications plan. She, you know, she's already, you know, our PR uh, director has always had one, but we now beat that up and included those things in, in case of the breach because I really don't think it's, it's a case anymore of if you have a breach, uh, because of the new regulations and stuff is kind of when you have a breach and you have to, uh, you know, make some public announcement. Uh, I'm hoping that, and once again, knock on wood that, that we never have a breach that, you know, requires us to notify the press ourselves. But any of uh, the regular, the regulations that are now there that are in force require us to report uh, even the minor breaches to uh, HHS on an annual basis. Uh, and that's website's already at the forms online and it's ready for you to go. So how else are you preparing for compliance with the new federal data security breach rule? For example, have you been working closely with your Various business associates altering the terms of those contracts. Right, we put together an internal group uh, that involves, you know, finance, the compliance officer, internal audit, myself, you know, Wendy, who is the HIPAA uh, uh, privacy officer, uh, you know, public relations, and our uh, vice president of medical affairs. And we're, you know, it, it's it's kind of too much to do, you know, one person to do. So we kind of spread out that work among uh, quite a few different folks. When the HIPAA regulations took place, internal audit was responsible for making sure the business associate agreements were in place and were appropriate. And, you know, that department is now reviewing those and making sure that, you know, all the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed. And we're, you know, making the determination, particularly if, if we do happen to have a breach, you know, whose responsibility is it to, you know, do those notifications to the patients and or the, the public? Um, if, you know, the way the regulations, the final ones were written, uh, we can either retain that responsibility or we can hold our business associates agree, uh, accountable for that, uh, but it has to be written in the business associate agreement that there's an understanding that has to take place up front. We're also doing education internally. Uh, we have 
an online, uh, we'll use care learning for our online education system. Wendy and I have put together a uh, an education session that all employees will re- be required to uh, participate in and sign up on, and then there's a, a, a test they'll take to make sure that there's competency related to that. We're also taking a version of that and making it available to our medical staff uh, to be used in their office. Uh, we do a, a two or three, depending upon what's happening during the year, uh, education sessions for all of our associated medical staff offices in town uh, in, in the area. And so we are planning to do an education session for them early in the year for all their physician staff, and then we'll be, they'll be given you know, copies of the PowerPoint to take back and do education for the rest of the staff at Canada Chance. Tell us a little bit about other data security projects that will be priorities in 2010. Are there any technologies you're investing in for the first time, for example? Well, I mean, we've had single sign-on for in place for a long time, but uh, one of the things that, that I'm really uh, interested in, in, you know, and I've been doing a lot of research on uh, is identity management uh, and uh, provisioning. Uh, there's, you know, several companies on the market that have really good products, and, you know, and if, if I named them, everybody would know uh, who, who they are. One just recently got acquired. Uh, but I think that's something that we need to do because uh, we have a, a multiple applications that we use every day. Um, and, you know, trying to manage that security and be prudent about password resets and those type of things is just a resource hog. And so coming up with technologies uh, in, to put in place to automate those processes, and, and most of the applications have either APIs that are exposed or have other methodologies that will allow you to manage the, that level of access or they're, you know, they're tied into Active Directory at some fashion will allow us to do that. And we continue trying to be diligent on our perimeter defense and stuff. You know, this is not something you just do once and, and let go. We're always finding new threats uh, on the outside that we need to worry about, and then and how they get inside. You know, we're, we continue to do education with our staff related to hey, if you if you get something. I had one yesterday that, uh, thankfully, uh, everybody's pretty good about sending that stuff to me. You know, they, it it came from one of the local banks and said, you know, something about their um, their verifying. You know, it's a, it's a phishing scheme, and so they basically, you know, they wanted to verify accounting account information and that kind of stuff, and I said, no, don't click on that, you know, and just delete it. You know, don't worry about it. Um, and we're, you know, the, as the threats get worse, we're trying to beef up and, you know, work with our, you know, our perimeter defense and stuff. And then the other thing that I'm more concerned about than the perimeter stuff is the internal threats, uh, uh, making sure that everything's locked up as tight as it possibly can be, that we don't, you know, have folks uh, installing rogue wireless access points that have no security on whatsoever. Uh, everybody knows I'm pretty anal about that, and uh, uh, so you know. I, and sometimes I think I err on the on the side of caution, and I'm a little bit too conservative. But uh, knock on wood, we've not had a, a, a significant uh, security issue. We had. Uh, I'll have to share this with you. We had a, a gentleman that came in to sit with his mother sometime uh, back, and he was a an IT professional. Uh, and uh, we up on our our, our internal intrusion detection up popped his uh, laptop. We didn't know what it was, and so we started hunting him down. I found him. He was sitting in his mother's room in critical care. He had unplugged the PC and jacked into the network. Well, immediately we were notified of that. So when I walked in and introduced myself as you know, the CIO and the chief security officer, he said, how did you find me? And I said, well, I have my ways. 
and I ask him to, you know, unplug his laptop and please not do that anymore. And uh, the next day, uh, the staff saw him bringing his laptop in in a, in a, uh, uh, a pillowcase. And so we collected that from him uh, until he, he left. And so uh, that's the, you know, the, the level of diligence that we try to do, that kind of stuff. And, but we do have a guest network that if somebody wants to bring in their own equipment in, that's, that's a totally separate network from anybody else. So we can provide those guest services to our visitors and our patients that they need to be able to do work and stuff and, and keep that off of our network. Are you making much use of data encryption at this point? Oh, we got anything that goes out of the building. Uh, uh, anything, any data that we send out gets encrypted. Uh, either through, uh, we have a, a, a utility, a tool on our email gateway that does two things. One, that it's, it scans the email before it goes out and it checks for uh, things that will uh, are related to HIPAA and, and the identifiable PHI of any kind of message, and it will automatically encrypt that, and the, the, the recipient of the email will get an email and say, you need to go pick this up. It's been encrypted, and you've been sent a secure email and that kind of stuff, and then um, uh, we also have the ability to automatically encrypt an, an outbound email if you want to, but any file or any other piece of data that we share, we encrypt anything that goes outside the building. And then we have some things we encrypt internally, but uh, most of the stuff that's in the building is not encrypted. We also have policy in place that uh, anybody that's using a laptop for either data entry or, or whatever is not, not allowed to keep uh, any kind of patient-related data on that piece of equipment. And then we have folks that are, you know, moving data. We're using uh, the flash drives or the USB drives. We are using the iron key drives, which are encrypted uh, at military grade. And the only thing that worries me about that, if you put your password in 10 times wrong, uh, they'll be happy to dispose of it for you because it will destroy itself internally. Okay, uh, one more thing. As the former chairman of HIMSS, I'm sure you had the opportunity to meet with a lot of other CIOs all across the country when you were speaking and visiting other hospitals. Uh, based on those meetings, do you believe that hospitals, physician group practices, other healthcare organizations will view data security as a higher priority in the years ahead? Well, I, th I think that there's still a lot of education, Howard, that needs to take place. And I think the biggest challenges, I mean, in the larger organizations, uh, they're typically going to be able to have uh, the resources to have full-time security folks. And I think that's appropriate because the larger the organization you, you have, the more potential for uh, something falling through the cracks or abuse or those type of things. I think the organizations that are going to really be challenged with this are the smaller facilities, critical access hospitals, and the physician practices. Uh, they just do not have, you know, the larger physician practices can afford to have their own IT staff who will be made responsible for security and that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, depending upon the training and, you know, the level of training and, you know, you know professionalism of that individual. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, the smaller group practice, you know, the ones, twos, and three physicians, you know, they, they just cannot afford to have that level. So they're either going to do one or two things. They're either going to depend upon their, uh, the, the vendor who is taking care of their network or their other equipment. Uh, or the community hospital like, like we do, we provide some expertise. We, we can't provide services because we're precluded by federal law from doing a lot of things. But, you know, we can give advice. Uh, that doesn't cost anything. And then we can provide education and support if they run into something and, 
and provide direction. But as far as going out and doing physical work, I, I really can't do that unless we want to, you know, create our own uh, company to do that. And I don't want to compete with a with the local companies. But I think there's a significant amount of education that that's going to have to take place. Um, and it's not going to, you know, it's not going to happen with, you know, flyers that are sent out or emails that come out. It's going to have to be, you know, kind of word of mouth and people that, you know, the physicians trust. And you're going to say, you know, here's a risk you really need to worry about. And that's the reason that we're doing, you know, kind of community education to help get that word out. So I want to make sure that the information that we're providing is kept as secure as possible. Uh, I think that we've still got a long way to go. Okay, well, thanks very much, Chuck. We've been talking today with Chuck Christian, CIO at Good Samaritan Hospital in Vincennes, Indiana. This is Howard Anderson of the Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.